Well. Well, well, well. Um, that that was it for the opening of Guidance. I'm Kevin. And I'm Luke. Uh, before we get started with the rest of the show, I thought maybe I should explain one of the jokes in there for those of you who are uh, maybe a little younger. Um, so there's a tradition uh, that has kind of gone the way of most people smoking, that when you have a child, you give them a cigar. Uh, or not, you don't give the child a cigar. <laughs> you give all your best friends um, and, and like family members and such a cigar. So whenever some, you really hoped you weren't going to get triplets because you're going to be out a lot of cash because <laughs> it's one <laughs> cigar per child. So um, in the com- comedy sketch we just heard, um, the reason the audience is laughing um, when Titus Moody, sa- Moody says, uh, want a cigar, son? It's, <laughs> it's because he, he's saying that he just had chi- a child from the egg <laughs> that his wife's <laughs> been sitting on for several days. Um, do you think that women are prone to overdo it? Hmm, quite. <laughs> quite? <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> oh, you have a girlfriend then? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> um... I, I, the thing I love about that is it is so clever at um, discreetly supporting the idea of post-war jobs for women being a bad idea while on the surface saying that it's a good idea. Because the first guy you have say it is the senator, mm-hmm. and he's all for it, um, but he's kind of crazy within the context of the show. The second person is a dude talking about it, so he just gives a practical life example that's ridiculous. But at the same time, it's like... Yeah, women do go way, work way too hard, and you never see them when they're working because they get really into it. And then the last person's a woman talking about it, and she talks about losing her appeal. <laughs> and um, you're laughing the whole time, but then you kind of reflect on it. It's like, oh, wait, they're like saying, oh, this is a terrible idea. And then it's all emphasized by that last song by McGee and McGee singing about... Um, uh, all these women working as if it's a great thing. And then the the killer punchline is because I'll be living the life of Riley when I get my wife a job. <laughs> in, <laughs> in other words, we're just going to use the women so we don't have to work, which kind of sadly actually came about in many situations. Yeah. But um, so anyway, I just find that show ridiculously clever for the meta message behind the surface message. Mm-hmm. The music, oh my gosh, it's that old style music. I can't get over that. It's it's so awesome to one, listen to. One thing that they really knew how to do back then was harmony. Yes. And oh my goodness, I miss that so much. I, it's not like I actually lived through it, but oh, it's it's beautiful. And it was all over back then, mostly because I think instruments were expensive and people were cheap in that time mm-hmm. period. So let's get a bunch of people that can sing the same note a different way and boom. One thing I really miss is like, well, I guess I never really experienced it since I live way back then. But is like the the big bands, um, just the huge popularity of the big bands, and that they'd they'd play uh, uh, at so many different venues. While in while you go out to eat dinner, you could just listen to a nice band, and that's not that's not the case anymore nowadays. Not economically viable anymore, mm-hmm. I'm afraid. Unfortunately, um, I think part of that is just the the media back in the day. Really, the only way you could listen to music was live or was on the radio. Yeah. And so if you wanted a particular style of music, the way you guaranteed getting that was to 
go to a restaurant that you knew would be playing that type of music. And because they only had a certain number of radio stations, the place wouldn't be tuning into the radio. But besides that, you know, sound systems back then were awful. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, any any if you ever go to like one of those big radios, like what they had back in the day, which is like larger than some TVs today, you turn it on, it has like this this continuous hum that you can really, really hear no matter how loud <laughs> you turn up the volume. So there um, there was this aspect of if you wanted good music, you had to go someplace they were playing it live. Um, and so it put a lot more of a... It actually brought down the price of having live bands all over the place because mm-hmm. they were in such demand that it's almost like that, that sort of thing. You're almost able to mass-produce custom on-the-spot music, as it were. Which is amazing, yeah, and we don't have anymore. Cool. So, um, Tesla has released a vehicle which you can um, not only drive, um, but which you don't quite have to drive, like many of their vehicles. Self-driving? Well, um, partially, as long as you're on the freeway. Uh, okay. and you press the button, it regulates the speed, it stays in the lane, it um, will apply the brakes if traffic slows, and you want to move over a lane, you click the blinker, and then it will wait for the car there to be a break in the traffic, and it will automatically move over. Oh, and it senses all that. That's, yeah. That's cool. So the only thing it can't do is, like, take you to your destination, because that requires more complex, like, the car has to understand where it is and be aware of, like, children and stuff, which generally are not playing on major freeways, so it's a lot safer. <laughs> um, to we not hope have, not. Yeah. Um... Uh, that's in most Tesla cars. But what's exciting about this one is it's $35,000, which to an impoverished college student sounds like a lot. But to someone who's in the market for a new car and going to car lots, that's actually a somewhat decent price. I mean, especially for the features you're going to get with that. Well, yeah, it is an all electric car. So mm-hmm. unless you live in a place where electricity is expensive, like, I don't know, certain parts of California, I think it's pretty expensive or yeah, but, I, I'm pretty sure you're right. But um, for the most part, like up here in the great Northwest, it's hydroelectric mostly. Woo! Uh, and Dams. and we damn <laughs> and uh, and wind farms, and we mostly have coal just as like a backup to make sure that we have a steady supply of electricity. A little bit of solar. A little bit of solar, <laughs> and so on it's the east side over here. Yeah, yeah. and so it's pretty cheap um, comparatively, um, although not as cheap as Canada, from what I've heard. Um, but it's you're going to save a lot, really. If you, um, you, I mean, you're not going to be refilling. You can go something like 200 miles on a single charge, which is pretty wow. decent. Okay. So, I mean, if you think about it, if you're doing stuff around town during the day, you're going to deplete the battery, but not so much that you can't fully charge overnight while you're sleeping. Um, it's electric, so insane get up and go. Like, it's zero to 60 in like eight seconds or something. Oh, man. And, and the best part is um, this is... A family car. It's really a family car. Um, Elon Musk, he's the guy who like started the company, and I think he's CEO or whatever, and he, he, he's basically the guy who is the company, right? And um, I watched it when he was announcing it, and like he, had a, like he has a family. He has small kids. So he kind of designed this car for his own life with small to medium children and large groups of people. So what's really awesome is, um, you know those, the DeLorean in Back to the Future? Oh, yeah. And it has those doors that open up sideways. Did he add those? That's in the, those are the rear two doors. Instead of oh, sliding doors, that's, that's what it so is. that's so cool. And the reason is, there's two reasons, and they're both really clever. Um, the first is that when you are, 
when you strap a uh, like a, a car seat into the front, which I'm not speaking from personal experience as far as strapping a car seat in, but I've ridden in minivans that have a car seat. That seat's yeah. out of commission. You can't move it forward or anything. Um, if someone wants to get into the back, they're going to have to use the other side. And if you have two car seats, the back is basically like non-existent unless someone wants to like crawl through the boot over the top of the rear seat to get to it. <laughs> um, and so he's designed the seats to go forward so it doesn't mess with the setup of like if you have a car seat. But also because you don't have the sliding door, which generally doesn't go quite all the way back enough because of the way the door is structured mm -hmm. in comparison to where the seats are, like the hole doesn't line up well enough. It's very difficult to get into the back. So now the seat goes forward, car seat still attached, and you can just step in and you don't have to do nearly as much of an awkward shuffle backward into that rear seat. It's a lot more natural. Um, the other reason is he actually wanted to make it easier to get into the car in tight spaces. Now, of course, you think, well, it's the doors are opening out, so how the heck is that going to work if you have two cars parked really close to each yeah. other? Um, so this might be an example of over-engineering because there are more points that can fail. But, boy, it's awesome to watch. It's double-hinged. So you push the button for it to go up, and... The, like, the top half of the door where the window is starts to go up. And I'm using a hand motion. That's not going to help anyone <laughs> listening to this. Um, do go to the Tesla website and look at the video. It will help a lot with this. But essentially, the way it's set up, because the top half is going up separate of the bottom half, and the bottom half is staying basically straight down for the majority of the Oh, of the it, door. Wouldn't, it wouldn't hit the, the it, cars near you or anything. It hardly I, I goes outward yeah. at all. It, it basically doesn't go out until the very last minute, and then it basically just kind of fully extends. Um, and they used minivans in the demonstration. So not only tall, but like tall the whole way along. And they were parked, oh, I'd say it's that distance where like, if you're getting out, you do that thing where you kind of reach your hand along to the furthest end of the door as the driver when you're opening the door so it doesn't yeah, so slam it doesn't into the, the car, car next yeah. to you. And, and then because your door is going to rest against that car as you get out and you're going to do that awkward stand-up sideways thing to kind of shimmy along. <laughs> yep, right? everyone it's, knows that. <laughs> it's, it's that level of close and these doors were able to open no problem. That's crazy. It, it, it really is. It's... Um, it, it's got features like that all the way through. It's it's designed as the most family-friendly car that you can buy. It's five-star rating, mm -hmm. not overall, every single category and subcategory oh of the safety rating system, five stars all the way. And the price, that's crazy. So is it, it's got third-row seating then, correct? Yeah, it's got... Um, it's like a suburban style. Yeah, the, it's, okay. I believe they're marketing as an SUV. SUV? Like they, right. they brought out um, uh, an old, uh, like a trailer attached to it at one point <laughs> like the idea is that you can actually haul with this thing that being said it will probably deplete the battery a lot more so don't expect to go on a long road trip with one of these because you still got that recharge time but if you live once again in the great northwest somewhere where it doesn't take long to get to the middle of nowhere it's kind of viable for that because you can 100 100 miles out 100 miles back yeah um you've got you've got some range on it and, uh, I mean, it's beyond storage with one of those things. Because the, in the entire part where you normally have an engine, 
that's all storage. Oh, yeah. There's Be so much more storage they can add. Because the way electric works, it's basically an RC car. Um, so imagine it, the way those work is they don't have a central motor that's attached to a drive chain because that's not as efficient um, because electric motors are able to be much smaller than gas motors um, or, or petrol or diesel or whatever you, you mm -hmm. sort of feel. When you're burning, you have to have more space to have like air and stuff and all the complex yeah, things the that require to um, basically create a series of controlled explosions to move you forward. Um, electric motors are much more um, compact, like space efficient. So you directly attach each motor to the wheel. That's how that works. Oh. Um, and because of that, you end up with a lot more torque. You end up with no gear changes required. You end up with a better 0 to 60. You end up with still amazingly fast speeds. You end up with that really weird sounding hum. And you end up with a ton of space in the front of your car because the only reason the front of the car is there is because it looks really weird to have a car without a front to it. And you kind of need that crumple zone Yes. for when you hit a, a brick or something. <laughs> um, when you hit that middle divider on the freeway yeah. because you couldn't decide if it was supposed to be left or white because Google kept changing its mind <laughs> or Apple Maps. Um, oh, oh, Apple Maps. Oh, now you have that crumple space. Um, so instead of an engine flying into your face, it can be the suitcase that you packed instead. It's, it's much, much safer. <laughs> um, Holy cow. I, I saw some pictures from the inside of it too. And mm -hmm. driving that car will feel a lot safer because it um the glass is it's a basically a single pane of glass from the front to the back of the car what that means All the way around? is not around so a, it's an arc so think of it as like a bridge that goes across the the middle part of the car not left oh, to right but front glass? to back oh my god from front to back so right where the um, normal window pane starts for you to look out the front of the car, that same piece of glass is going all the way to the back for the rear window. Wow. Which, I mean, it's going to be awful to replace when you get a car, uh, like a, 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 a chip in it. Oh, seriously? Because that's a lot bigger piece of glass, but it's a lot safer because they're able to recess the amount of actual roof a lot more. So instead of feeling like you're kind of like you're in the car and then there's the dashboard and then beyond that is the front where the glass is. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're kind of right up there with the glass. Not like you're going to bump your head against it, but like basically like you're in a dome almost like you're in one of those like IMAX theaters where it's so big that all you see is the screen because it's not like the cheesy ones that they have all over the place now like one of those proper IMAX theaters yeah. where it's basically you're stepping into a cliff with some stairs carved into the side and some seats. <laughs> so when you sit down, you have to really look down to see the, the person in front of you because they're basically a full like level below you. And yeah. it's that massive screen. And so your whole vision is filled up with the screen. That's what it's like. Tesla vision. <laughs> basically. The ultimate experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's... It's really something to to behold. I wanna, I want to just sit in one of those things just to like, feel what it's like to be in a Tesla. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, because so, they're so well designed. Uh huh. And usually they're so expensive. Oh my gosh. Well, and and this is, this is the thing. Um, Elon Musk kind of did a Hitler, 
Um, I know that's a really <laughs> weird comparison to make. Um, let me explain. Yeah. He did <laughs> Please a. Please explain. <laughs> um, so when Hitler was in the jail in Vienna, I believe it was, um, he wrote a, a little known book called Mein Kampf. Um, it was, he wrote it. And then someone tried to fix it um, with his permission, and then they published it, and the guy did not fix it nearly enough because pretty much no one read that book because it was really awful. It was in second place to the Bible in being purchased in Germany for several years because, you know, dictator, mm -hmm. like you have to have the book. No one read it. I'm pretty sure most people kind of picked it up, read a bit, and was like, oh, this sucks, and then put it down and never said that because it sucked. Yeah, many of Hitler's <laughs> closest like people admitted they never read that book because it was no good. <laughs> but in it, he laid out his entire plan for World War II, which he did pretty much word for word for that book. Oh, so if people had read it, if people had read it, they would have like and taken it seriously, but mostly just read it. Um, mm -hmm. They would have um, possibly quite known exactly what he was going to be doing. Um, leading up to World War II and then for World War II and why he was doing it and all that. It's kind of explained there. From what I've heard, again, it's an awful book. I haven't read it. Um, Elon Musk um, said repeatedly, and even I watched a TV show where he said this on, where he had a three-stage plan. Stage one, build a really awesome supercar that's electric. Stage two, build a cheaper car that's electric. Stage three, build an affordable car that's electric. Hey, there you go. It took him an extra car to get there, so it's four cars instead of three mm -hmm. to get to something that's somewhat affordable. At the same time, he told the entire industry he was going to do this when he started the company. And they still haven't done anything, really. We're still <sighs> seeing hybrids. Yeah, that's true. He, it, like, he's asking for competition. You can go and look up the blueprints the um, engineering manuals, everything you can, f you have publicly available every piece of information you need to build a Tesla car, any car, any Tesla piece of technology. It's publicly available. Oh, that's awesome. Because he wants people to give him competition and no one's doing it. Originally, they had patents and copyright and all. Mm -hmm. It's now freely available because he's trying to get some competition for what he's doing <laughs> and no one's giving him it. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully that'll uh, that'll change now that he's got this very affordable Tesla car. Well, and I heard within the first twenty-four hours, it it did something like twenty uh, twenty thousand pre-orders. Twenty thousand pre-orders. And then that's wow. not paying the full price. It's paying a thousand bucks for mm -hmm. that pre-order. But that's a substantial amount of people saying, "I want this." Yeah. In like twenty months, when it comes out, because it's going to take them a while to actually. Uh, Tesla, there's there's like several different types of time in this world. There's Hawaiian time, oh. which is kind of slower, but it's definitely within the same day, usually within the same yeah. hour. But it's, it's more like, you know, it's going to be around that time. And then there is um, island time, which is within the same day. Mm -hmm. We're well, not going to get more specific than that. But, you know, I said I'd be there on that day and I was there on that day. <laughs> um, and, and then there's... Um, there's Tesla time where they say um, we're going to get that car to you and they get it to you about a year later and then there's a Valve time and they say we're going to get that video game to you and it's been over a decade now Valve and you still have not given us the next <laughs> Half-Life game oh 
They're a little behind that, like, six months it was going to take them to make the third episode of Half-Life 2. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> By, like, a decade. <laughs> Why? Um, so the different types of time in this world. Ah, time. It really is relative. Can't stop it. <laughs> yeah, can't stop it, can't live without it. Mm-hmm. Same, it's, it's kind of like with, with women. I, I can't I can't really live with them very easily, but I can't really do my laundry without them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so they're kind of important. It is true. I'm also horrible at doing laundry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how I keep getting it, it every time I walk. Lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. I have no vibrant colored clothes anymore. <laughs> the only reason the t-shirt I look um, I have on right now looks red is because there's a big red light on that's telling us that we're we're on the air. Wait, we're live. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is not a pre-recording. Unlike NPR, we do not edit everything and then make it sound like we didn't and edit it. Raw uncut edition. Hence the awkward Guidance. pauses. Woo. So okay. I had a thought about edu well, several thoughts, but I, I repeatedly think about education because it keeps happening to me. Well, yeah, in the fact that we are at a university. Yeah. So and it, we encounter it all the time. <laughs> and, it, and it drives me crazy. I have a, a couple of notes for the university on how to fix things. Um, note one is for, um, I think, several students, especially theology majors, but then just sort of students in general that get to the higher ed levels that aren't maybe like, like I guess this wouldn't apply to pre-med because it's all memorization or so I've been told. But... Um, a lot of times you get to those 300-level courses. Oh, and, 300 foreign-level courses. Okay. And you do a lot of reading. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's kind of reasonable. It's usually pretty deep, and there's a fair amount of it, and it's real-headed to get through it. But you can get through it, and then you do some, like, writing responses or quizzes to sh- say that you've done the reading, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's okay. You allocate that sort of amount of time. If you're taking about 17 credits, you're going to be okay with that until after spring break you start getting these paper-based assignments, building up to a big paper that usually replaces the final for the more, like, lower-level classes. It's a big paper that is sort of showing that you've learned a bunch of stuff in this class because it's a paper built around the the class and what's been taught in it. And um, what is terribly frustrating is they don't really diminish the amount of reading you have leading up to the doness of that paper, which means that oh, you gosh. have to... The same amount of reading. Yeah. Yet they just tack on this paper. They, they tack on the paper, <laughs> and they kind of assume that you'll do it in, like, the filling in the cracks time. But because I'm taking, like, four classes where this is going on, I don't have that fill in the crack time for four large papers. Yeah, are you at a, you're at 17 credits, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so it, I, I know I'm not the only one out there who's who's had this. And what what's also difficult is, well, I, and cross discipline too. I I've taken history classes; they do the same thing here, mm-hmm. where it's like there's that big paper at the end. That that's not a problem necessarily, except that um, the professors will give some reduced time sometimes, um, but usually I found the way that little reduction in work time coincides directly. Um, not necessarily conspiratorially, but it feels that way, with a large push in another class. So that little extra <laughs> space they give you to do the paper is now actually taken up by a yeah. different class and its little extra side homework thing they have going on that week. 
And so extra time is never to be found during the weeks. Exactly. <laughs> and so here's my idea. Add just a little bit more reading for the rest of the semester. We can take it. And then the last week before the paper, no readings. First class, a lecture on the best way for the students to be able to write a paper in the style of the discipline the class is in. Not everyone oh. taking a 300-level history class is a history major. I certainly wasn't. Not everyone taking a 2- or 300-level theology class is a theology major. Yep, even that's if, me right now. <laughs> yep. Even if we um, are, like I am currently, there, I don't believe I've come into contact with a class in the theology department that explicitly like, goes and takes time to explain the best way to write a theology paper in comparison with a standard writing paper, like what they teach you in, like a standard English paper, like what they teach you in writing 100. Mm -hmm. um, and the best way to format things like Chicago, there's like stuff written, you can ask the professor. But I feel like the professors oftentimes are grading down based off of their assumed lack of knowledge of the students because they just didn't, you know, give them that little bit of information and they can't assume that the students have it. So why not a lecture on, this is how you write a theology paper, this is the best way to do Chicago style, and here's the best part, this is what will get your students, even if they are a theology major, and have heard this lecture from five other teachers that semester, the last thing can be the best way to directly apply within this type of writing the paper to this class. Oh, okay. which they're already giving to some extent, but more a, like a blatant straight up saying like, now that we've covered the basic, this is a theology versus normal paper. Yes. Now that we've covered the basic formatting, this is a specific type of paper dealing with this thing. In academia, it's usually done in this particular way. That will allow your students to go into that paper with a lot more focus they're going to be able to spend more time on it directly as that paper and thinking directly about it because you're giving them dedicated time for it in your schedule. Yeah, rather than just worrying about the format so much. Your next class or two classes can be um, scheduled times for students to come in and talk to you about specific questions they have in regards to the paper. They are actively writing that moment, that week. And it will allow there to be a lot more direct feedback interchange um, for between the student and the professor and a much clearer understanding of what's expected for the paper, both for the student and the professor. And so there's no excuse for um, poor formatting with Chicago style because you have a student that's a history major and is doing everything in APA. Yeah, but you already taught it. so Exactly. So go. now there's no excuse mm -hmm. for that. Um, like there is you know, kind of like what it is now, where it's like, oh, and do it Chicago style and kind of figure it out for yourself and <laughs> figures crossed. Yeah, that's that's how um, I entered my Philippians class this semester. I had no background knowledge on writing exegesis papers whatsoever, and I just kind of had to fend for myself. I had to find time, the little time I have uh, during the day to to try to meet with my teacher and uh, just get all my questions answered about the paper. Yeah. But if we have allotted times where... Uh, the professor is open like during that lecture time to get those questions answered that'd be so much more helpful I think so um, it's I mean it's not that it isn't 
the system we currently have isn't working. That's not what we're saying, I don't no, we're, think. We're saying it could be better. It, it could be better. It, um, and, of course, this doesn't apply to every class. This is more, I mean, especially coming from the theology department, but I think the history department does some similar stuff. Um, a lot of the upper div, more, I don't know how you put it, like philosophical, like upper, upper division. Like, like not just upper division, but like theoretically thinking based classes, not the practical, this oh, is how you do like brain higher, surgery. Higher thinking. Okay. Not the practical, this is how you do brain surgery or this is what a kidney is, but like the more like abstract thinking based mm-hmm. classes do a big paper at the end uh, instead of a, a final or they do not as major of a final or it's non-comprehensive or whatever because the focus of your understanding of the class is that big paper it would be really helpful if there was dedicated time for a really clear understanding of that paper that isn't two months before the paper is due because this is when you should be starting this paper (laughs) yeah oh my gosh and then you have to remember back to two months ago the like two weeks before the paper is due when you actually (laughs) really start knuckling in because this is I I still don't have time, but I'm more willing to not sleep now. Oh, gosh. No no sleep. (laughs) Second idea. Um, This is more broad, more abstract. It's more applicable not just to um, the way Whitworth does things, but other higher-level institutions and then even, like, education across the board that's done in, like, a school and such. I think that perchance we are thinking about the way of education too academically, which sounds kind of weird, but what if we were to stop thinking about it with the sort of scientific method, Victorian era mindset of what we have in academia right now and started thinking about it on more of a a spiritual soul, um, person-to-person sort of level. And so um, my thinking on this is what if we think about if we think about it sort of as water being poured into cups, um, the teacher has this, this pitcher of water that they have of this information, but it's also energy um, that they are pouring into a whole bunch of cups of students. And some of it kind of <laughs> falls sideways because the cups are all together and there's a little space in between. Um, so it's, it doesn't all go into the students, but a lot mm-hmm. of it does. And then the students um, take that water and they pour it onto a bunch of water and computers. And the water just kind of gets absorbed into the paper and with the sogginess of their tears, and, and that's it. <laughs> um, and there's the, um, the teachers are essentially pouring all of their knowledge into a, a test or two or a paper that the student will forget in about a year, except for a good joke or something that happened in the class or the level of difficulty because that questions going to be asked them a million times by other people questioning whether or not they want to take the class and so the class itself will be put by the wayside um and so i think if we think of it in this way maybe we need to redesign and i'm not suggesting specific ways of redesigning necessarily but i'm suggesting a way of thinking for the redesign of education so that the students pour the water into each other and Mm -hmm. back into the teacher because boy the teachers get tired here and other academic institutions just as much if not more than the students because they're pouring themselves out to people that aren't giving them anything back except blank stares and um, awkwardly looking at their phone in a secret way that's true maybe like maybe if we 
didn't didn't have classes so much structured on lectures and more on like discussion format, then um, the students could retain the knowledge a lot more and actually learn it almost themselves mm-hmm. in a bit. And that that also give the teachers a little bit of a break. <laughs> there's a there's a a few ways of of doing it. That's probably one of the more common ones. That's yeah. already being done quite a it bit. It is already being done, but maybe um, if it was done more. If, if it, I think doing it more, um, I think a lot of teachers don't realize the amount of um, relief and um, ease that they can, and, and less, like, not work, but sort of emotional draining would happen if they put a lot of the work to be done as far as the thinking and learning is concerned with mm-hmm. the students and not just the sort of busy work, raw, take information from this place and this place, put it onto paper, give to teacher. Memorize this, memorize that. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then regurgitate. If they allow there to be a lot more discussion, it eases them. It allows them to learn from the students and the students mm-hmm. to learn from them. And they will start to enjoy going to the class just as much as the students are. Um, another, it's very difficult to do this, of course, because you get that sort of level of, it's sort of like a boss who like really wants the job to get done right. And because they want the job to get done right, they keep micromanaging. It's that sort of thing that's going Mm -hmm. on in academia. And that was great back in the Victorian era when we needed a bunch of people that could read, write, do, um, do good handwriting, do, uh, math. And do that in any place on the earth for the yeah. great Victorian empire that the sun never set on. That was really important back then. We are not cogs in a machine anymore. Nope. At least not as much. We're inform like knowledge, like raw information, is dirt cheap. It's a Google search away. Yeah. Um, it's not important for us to have information. Uh, I mean, can exception brain surgery or what have you, but most <laughs> information itself is pretty much worthless how to find that information quickly how to apply the information to other bits of information how to think abstractly that's vitally important yeah um another way that's being done this is more in the lower ed areas um there's a ted talk i can't remember the guy's name so i'm sorry uh he won the ted prize i think it was like one of the first ones ever given so it should be pretty easy to find um is taking several Um, kids about four or five of them giving them one computer giving them a question that's really interesting especially to a kid that they don't know the answer to and telling Mm -hmm. them to find the answer by whatever means they want they can call people they can it they they it doesn't matter how they find it but they have to find the information and give back to the teacher the correct response to whatever the question is so it can be something like a meteor is heading towards earth um, how can you tell if it will hit the Earth or not? And in doing this, wow. they're going to learn about physics, math, astronomy, um, to some extent yeah. history, like with Galileo and all that jazz. Um, the difference between meteors and asteroids is probably going to end up in that search somewhere. And because they're doing it as a group with a limited resource being there is just that one computer and they are all doing it with that one computer, the interaction they're going to have as individuals with each other in regards to the way that they're gathering the information allows them to remember it for extended periods of time and i mean like years 
not because they remember the information for its own sake, but they remember it because, oh yeah, we figured that out when Tommy punched me in the head, or we figured <laughs> that out and Jesse sneezed or whatever. There's no rational yeah, reason. Yeah, the realness, like the rawness uh, about learning that. Yeah. Okay. There's not a rationality necessarily as to why a weird, completely non-related incident allows you to remember information for an extended mm -hmm. period of time, but there seems to be a correlation. And this is allowing the teacher to step away almost entirely, except for encouraging words, support of the kids, um, and allowing them to do all the work. And yet they learn this stuff for extended periods of time. So th these are a couple of ways of that are already being done along these lines. I mean, if Whitworth was to change the way that they structured it so that it was more of a top-down thing saying, this is how you guys are going to do it now, think about it with the analogy I gave or whatever it is. Yeah. These professors are bloody brilliant across the board. They would come up with some amazing oh ways gosh. of applying these things that are already being done, changing it up for their own. It would be fantastic to see. And it would make their jobs better, and it would make the learning here a lot better as well. Definitely. Okay. So... Um, we are going to now do a, this is a response to Batman versus Superman. Oh, that movie. Yes. <laughs> so, um, people who know me know that I'm not a fan of the way that DC has been portraying, um, Batman. I'm okay with him being dark and brooding. He kind of is asking for it, dressing as a bat. Kind of. Yeah. Superman, not as much same with Wonder Woman they're not necessarily like that type of character yeah, they're not, they're not in the comics super duper dark um I mean they have dark moments yeah but that's made the dark moments are all that more significant with them in that they usually are not dark characters mm -hmm. and so we could go on for a long time ranting about the stupidity of Warner Brothers misunderstanding of their <laughs> own characters um oh. but we thought it would be a lot better if we tried something different. Um, so just a minute. Um, so before there was the Man of Steel, before there was the JL, JUL, before there was Superman, the animated series. Before there was Superman, the movie, there was The Adventures of Superman. Woo! So we are going to give you guys a little bit of a taste of... I don't have the dates on these anymore. I believe it's 30s or 40s. Um, this is sort of the original mass media Superman that the world saw, very in line with the comic books at the mm -hmm. time um, so that all of you can kind of uh, put on the old spandex and see how it feels around the waistline in comparison with today's more high-tech method of similar <laughs> to looking as spandex um, so sit back and enjoy the most campy cheesy wonderful Superman that has ever been put to your imaginations <laughs> 